there's this really fascinating comedian named Ken Jeong, who, if you don't recognize him by name, you more than likely would recognize him by the work he's done. He's probably most famous for the Hangover movies, where he spent a ton of time running around in his underwear. But none of this is what makes him fascinating. What really makes him fascinating to me, what really stands out about him to me, is the fact that before he did all this, before he was a comedian, before he was an actor, he was a doctor. He went through Duke as an undergrad, and then he got his, his MD from the University of North Carolina, and then he practiced. And then he decided that this isn't where he was supposed to be. And I find that so fascinating that there are people out there that have the, the strength, the audacity to be able to make such a drastic change, to, to have a career like that, which is, to me, it sounds like money in a bank, and say, you know what, I belong someplace else, and to be able to get there. So... That's what this podcast is about. I'm going to hopefully talk to other people with fascinating stories like that. And I hope that you will uh, get something out of it, uh, get some level of fascination about how they they actually were able to make that, those types of changes and, and what their process was and what was in their mind at the time. This podcast is called Next Exit. And my name is Spencer Lewis. Thanks for joining me. Hey all, I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I love talking to people who have made drastic changes in their lives. And when I met Valerie Worthington a few years ago, and I started thinking of doing this podcast, I knew I had to talk to her. I I found her story fascinating, and I think you guys will too. Valerie is a PhD term Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor. I don't know if that's fair. Um, since Valerie will always be a PhD, but it kind of sounds pithy and I kind of like it, so I'm sticking with it. Along the way, she decided to capture her experiences in a blog and then ultimately a book titled Training Wheels, How a BJJ Road Trip Jump-Started My Search for a Fulfilling Life. Valerie, thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So how many people uh, with doctorates do you run across training uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? It's it's a good question. Um, I, more than you would think, maybe. Uh, we have a student at the school I teach at who is working on her doctorate in math. You have um, doctor. I used to work with a uh, um, an emergency or train with an emergency room doctor. Tons of lawyers. Um, I, I think one of the things that uh, is uniform about people who train jujitsu is that they like puzzles and they like. Uh, kind of solving problems. And so um, obviously you can do that in a variety of contexts. And so um, there, are, there are lots of people who have uh, tried to solve more formal educational problems and now they come and try to solve the physical ones that, that jiu-jitsu pose for them, poses for them. You know, you know when it's, um, it's funny, when I, when I wrote down that question, you know, I kind of thought of it as like a little icebreaker. And I thought, you know, a lot of the people that I, I know uh, quite a few people um, that train and to a one, they're all very thoughtful, uh, you know, smart people. So I didn't, re- I, you know, it's like a question that you, initially when you write it down, you think, okay, I know um, it sounds one way. And then I thought, you know what? I bet you um, 
there are more people like my friends than I would expect. So that's awesome. It's absolutely true. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? I mean, you, you, you let me know what you want to cover, but you know, age, if you're comfortable, um, education, things like that, just give you, a little, give us a little sense uh, about yourself. Sure. I am 47 years old, born and raised in central New Jersey, and I live in Philadelphia now after having lived in a variety of other places. Um, and uh, my education background is I have a bachelor's in English literature from Dartmouth College and a doctorate in um, educational psychology from Michigan State University. Uh, before I um, uh, discovered Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or as I was discovering Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I uh, was in the education field, specifically proprietary for-profit education. So that's where I was working when I realized how important jiu-jitsu had become in my life. And uh, what I have found is that my background in education and in writing, because I do a lot of writing about jiu-jitsu, they, they dovetail nicely with, with this practice and in ways that I was actually not expecting. So uh, maybe there was a method to my madness, but I think I probably was just sort of doing what seemed interesting at the time. Well, that's, uh, and, you know, it's always interesting that one of the things when you do a, a career switch is trying to take some of what you have done in the past into what you're going to be doing in the future, you know, to take advantage of that experience. So it's interesting that you're able to do that. Absolutely. It's, I, I think that's true of just life in general. And um, I, I find that a lot of the things that are important for jujitsu are also just important in life in general, like patience and uh, stick to and humility, the willingness to learn from anyone and everyone. Uh, um, you know, th those kinds of things um, are are important skill sets and and values to have, uh, no matter what you do and where you go. And so. Um, maybe jujitsu helped me um, kind of take that first leap when I did change my life around. I think it, I think it absolutely did um, for precisely those reasons because I had had some practice in, um, uh, you know, developing my sense of bravery and courage because jujitsu was really a scary prospect. So then when it came time to turn my life upside down, well, I'd already had some practice um, you know, going going through those those kinds of scary moments in life and, and coming out the other side. Well, it's also, you know, it's interesting that you you refer to what you do in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as training. And with your background in education, it kind of seems like that skill of, uh, of learning um, is well suited um, for training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I would agree. Uh... If, speaking for myself, the the interest in learning and the the goal of learning never goes away in jujitsu and also in in other things. And um, in order for me to be a better teacher and a better leader in the jujitsu world, I have to first of all continue to um, to know what's relevant and what's effective, and also to model um, the the kind of the lifelong learning um, value to the the people that I'm working with. So there's there's kind of a two-pronged thing going on there. So when before you uh before you went on your journey, what were you doing? What was you, what was paying the bills uh beforehand? 
I was working for a an education corporation that had uh, a series of um, degree granting institutions underneath it. And I was working in, there was a central office and I was working in that central office to help streamline curricula. So um, there were, so for instance, for one of the institutions that offered bachelor's degrees, there were different campuses across the country, um, each of which had slightly differing curricula. And my goal was to work with the, the program chairs at um, those different campuses to help them as much as possible, given state requirements and licensure requirements, um, et cetera, to, um, to streamline those curricula so that if, for instance, somebody uh, who was in a program in Boston needed to move to Seattle, they would be able to seamlessly go back into, um, into the program without really missing a beat. And of course, this was before um, there was quite as much online uh, learning opportunity as there is now. Um, we were incorporating that to a certain extent, but there was still definitely a, um, a, a pretty big face-to-face -face component. What year was this? This was, I was at that organization from 2002 to 2006. Gotcha, gotcha. So, and I had, what was your thesis on? Oh man, I can't even remember the title, but it was <laughs> on, it was on what I called existential computer anxiety. So the idea was that a lot of the computer anxiety literature that I had read was uh, technical in nature. So people were anxious about using computers. And again, keep in mind, this was way before um, everybody had a computer in their hands and was walking around staring at it all the time. This was back, you know, when people still, um, you know, used floppy disks and things like that. And, and uh, computer users were more um, kind of segmented. You either were a computer user or you weren't. Um, even though it was headed in the direction that we are now, there was still a little bit of that, um, a little bit of that kind of throwback nature. So um, there was a lot of research on the use of com computer technology and particularly on anxiety. And the research on computer anxiety focused on technical anxiety, which is this idea that I don't know how to use this computer, I'm going to break it, I'm going to lose my data. Um, and what I had discovered just sort of informally in um, interacting with academics was a more existential anxiety. So people didn't like using computers because they didn't like what it represented for their field. They were going to have to change procedures and maybe people who they didn't think belonged in the academy were going to get access. Um, and all, all the things that they, that they held valuable about academe were being affected in a material way by the use of computers. So that's what I explored was this idea that computer technology was um, violating expectations and, um, and causing a lot of consternation among people. So did you use that? Um, so do, did you use your education moving forward in your, your I want to say your first career? I did. I, so I think the the content of my dissertation, for instance, maybe wasn't as relevant to what I was doing, but the the background that I had in learning theory um, and contexts of learning and influences on learning and my ability to think critically and write well, those things all um, stemmed from my degrees and they all stood me in good stead when I was trying to find 
a job and when I got the job that I did that I did get and have for for that time okay so how so when when did you make your 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 switch um, to what you're doing now well it's been sort of a process um, I I actually kind of ripped the band-aid off of my old life on July 1st 2006 and that's when I um, had uh, closed the sale of my condo I was living in Chicago at the time um, I had quit the job that I just described to you you know maybe two months earlier and had decided that I was going to take a um, a jujitsu road trip because I'd been just kind of unhappy in general in my life and so I for quite a while um, you know, probably the better part of a year, I lived on the um, the profit that I'd made on the condo, so I wasn't really working. And then um, it started to dawn on me that I was going to need to make a living in some way. But by then, I was very committed to a more jujitsu-heavy life, where I was training twice a day and um, you, you know, even doing weightlifting and, and uh, um, cross training to support that, I was starting to get into competition. And so at the time, the idea of a full time job was just not something that I wanted. So I started to teach um, online for different institutions, and I continue to do that. Um, and so I've sort of created this way of putting together lots of different. Um, consulting gigs where, you know, I do writing for people and I teach courses and I do some facilitation and I am a certified life coach. So um, in addition to teaching uh, jujitsu and writing about jujitsu, so I, it took me the better part of, what is it now, 12 years to, um, to create this kind of lifestyle where it's in my mind a career but it's made up of um, uh, a bunch of kind of disparate projects that that all sort of speak to me in different ways it, it's funny you say that because um, you know when I talk to people uh, about myself what I generally say is that I'm piecing it together um, that mm -hmm. I'm just you know what as opposed to working for the man mm -hmm. I'd rather try and find uh, different little things to, to figure out how I can go on uh, from and pay the bills from um, from here on forth so um, it sounds a lot like what I, I would say to people there that you that's what you're doing I I think so and I I know that it's not for everyone but um, in in the process of becoming a life coach which happened because I started to um, be a leader take more of a leadership role in the jiu-jitsu community and what I discovered is that when you are teaching people jiu-jitsu you're not just teaching them techniques sometimes they need to talk about what's going on in their lives and um, I pursued a life coaching certification because I liked that aspect of it but I wanted to make sure that I was first doing no harm and I've been learning more about career consulting and career counseling and things like this and man the the days of the company man are over you can't really expect that you're going to get out of school and then work for a company for your entire career and then be taken care of in your old age. So many people these days, um, the trend is that apparently people who are you know in the workforce now were likely to have five or six different careers, not jobs, but careers. And that's a function of um, the fact that 
you know, times are just changing to, to sound like a, you know, an old fart, but they really are. <laughs> um, and I, I have found that my ability to stay flexible and to, um, to view my career as, as an opportunity for lifelong learning is, um, is standing me in good stead because I'm, I'm, a, I'm able to see how the things that I have done in my past do relate to things that I could potentially do in the future. And that just broadens my skill set. So, so I say high five to you and me. Well, you know, you know, thanks. The other thing, though, that's funny for me is that, you know, we're we're about the same age. I'm a, I'm a, a few years older than you, and one of the things that I start to realize is that, you know what? Hey, I there's a trust thing. Um, you know, I I trust myself to at least make decisions that are in um, my best interest with the, the information that I have at the moment. Um, and I know being through all the shit that I've been through that you know, I can't trust, I can't give that same trust to any company that I've ever worked for. So you, at some point you just decide, you know what, I can make enough stupid decisions on my own, but at least they're my own stupid decisions um, as opposed to having to deal with somebody else's. I really like that. And it's consistent with something that I'm I'm uh, discussing with some students in a course I'm teaching right now, which is the idea of where where's your locus of control, right? And and yours sounds like it's a hundred percent internal, and I like to think that mine is too, um, where I'm going to look for opportunities and take advantage of them if possible. And and don't get me wrong, I am such a fortunate person. Um, I've had a lot of a lot of opportunities that probably a lot of people haven't had, and I'm. I'm cognizant of that and I, I try to be cognizant of that um, and I try to take advantage of them as much as possible so that I can I can craft the best life for myself that I possibly can well you know it's, I, I there's uh, something I would say to uh, I've said a lot to people is that um, we all build our own traps right so the mm. things that keep us in a life that we don't like in many cases, they're are there because of choices that we've made previously. So if I have a, a house that's huge, I made that choice. If I have a couple of car payments, I'm, I made that choice. And so the question is, how can you kind of mitigate that and, and, and kind of make it less of a trap for yourself by maybe not making those same kind of, uh, those same kind of changes? But you also just hit on something. I, I kind of feel that I'm, I mean, I'm definitely very fortunate. I mean, I think about the fact that I have an extremely patient wife that works extremely hard. Mm -hmm. And so it allows me, um, you know, the ability to kind of try and piece it together uh, while she's doing what um, what she does. Not everybody has that opportunity. Um, and I've been thinking about that trap thing for a long time, thinking, you know what, I don't want to build too many traps into my life. So it is fortunate. I, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. And one of the things that I would say is um, you, you said that you had been interested in talking to me because I'd made a big change in my life. And and one of the changes that, in, that absolutely had to occur was my perceptions of what was important to me because I was and what was important to me and how much I needed um, in order to be happy and in order to be safe. And I had thought that that happiness went hand in hand with having a high powered, you know, high profile job that it, that it meant having, you know, owning a home, um, having a certain kind of lifestyle. It, I was living in Chicago and, you know, 
um, spending my time doing certain kinds of things and those things took resources and time and what I have discovered is that I can be happy um, with a with a radically different lifestyle um, making different levels of money and and sometimes sometimes that means you know that uh, it's feast and sometimes it's famine and I've gotten comfortable with that as well and I've also really been forced to or forced myself to to drill down into what and who are truly important to me and I'm not always successful in making sure that I that I prioritize those um, those things and those people but I'm I'm far more aware of it than than I used to be and um, it's it's really amazing to me how how happy and fulfilled I can be um, in in the absence of the things that I thought were were absolutely necessary for my happiness. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, well, it's all a process of learning who you are and what you need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when you were in the process of making that that career change, so just before you you made that, so we're going to flash back, right, to um, maybe. June 1st, 2006. Did you know exactly what was wrong or what was making your career wrong at the time? Or did you just have a feeling that it was wrong? I had a feeling that I was headed down a path that I didn't like. But it's funny because I can I can say that now in retrospect. And I don't know how much of it is because hindsight is twenty twenty, and how much of it is what I really believed at the time. I, I don't know how much I was thinking other than gee, I'm miserable. And right. for better or worse, when, when things are bad, I, I'm a crier. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I would, I would get to work and I would spend, you know, between this is, this is probably like late 2015 or I'm sorry, 2005. I would get to work. I would spend half hour, 45 minutes behind the closed door of my office crying trying to get myself, pull myself together. And then I would get on with my day and I would feel like everything that I was tasked with doing was just the worst thing in the world. I wanted to be doing absolutely anything other than that. And after a while, just the sheer exhaustion of being that unhappy um, becomes something that you have to address. And I also want to say that one of the things that was interesting is I, I wasn't or didn't think I was sitting in judgment on other people for embracing the lifestyle and the organization that I was working for. It just simply wasn't right for me. And so when I started to figure that out, I didn't know exactly what, exactly what was wrong, but I knew that something was and that the source of it was probably the situation I was in and that I needed to make some significant changes there. And from there, it, it ended up being kind of a, um, a baby step sort of thing like oh if I move in this direction then I feel a little bit lighter and a little bit happier and if I move in this direction then I feel just miserable so maybe I'll move in the direction where I feel a little lighter and happier and see see what what that feels like for a little while but the funny thing is is that in you know in reading your book uh, I noticed you you got push you got pushback um, from from people who uh, who couldn't understand your decision so that makes it even, I mean, that I'm sure you had to rethink yourself or, or I mean, it makes it just harder because of that. It, it did. And I, I, I got, I got pushback from people who 
like I mentioned, who thought I was sitting in judgment on them. And I got people, I got pushback from people who just couldn't fathom that what I was deciding to quit this high powered job and to, and to leave the city and sell a home that was, you know, a, a, a nice thing to have that, that those things could make me happy. And what I started to realize was that, um, there are lots of people who were in the same boat that I was where they were doing what they thought should make them happy. And if it didn't, they, they, it hadn't even risen to the level of consciousness yet for them. So, um, I was perceived as threatening, but they weren't, they didn't necessarily know why there was no logical reason for it because I wasn't going around saying, ha ha ha, I'm, I'm deciding that your life is, you know, not valuable or the way you're living it is not valuable because I wasn't thinking that I was just trying to maximize the value that I saw in my own life. Right. But, well, but people, people, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll project. Right. And I, I did the same thing. Um, we're all insanely narcissistic people. And so mm-hmm. when somebody says something, you, uh, in many cases you think about, you know, it's, I mean, you think about it, how you, you know, through your eyes and how it impacts mm-hmm. me. And I'm sure that's you know, everybody that's saying that when you told them that they're thinking, what does this say about me in one way or another? I think that's exactly what happened. And I, I got really good at, at sort of, um, uh, including that caveat in my discussions, <laughs> just, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm searching. I'm, and I would, I would even be self-deprecating, you know, I'm a mess. I don't know what's going on with me. I am just sort of grasping at straws here to figure out what's, what's best for me. And if you sort of, if, if I sort of did, did it that way, then, then I think I came across as less threatening. And there was more than just a modicum of truth too. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, you sold your, your condo, you traveled the country, um, all, I mean, not a, at a drop of a hat, but I mean, you know, on July 1st, 2006, you had no place to live. Um, and it, it feels, it sounds crazy. It, may, it must have felt weird. It was all those things. It it sounded crazy to me too. Um, I, I really was just flying by the seat of my pants. Right. And the only the only yardstick that I had was every time I sat and I, there were times I, I, I had made my decision to leave Chicago and drive around and train jujitsu and have this adventure. And I needed to wait until I had the money in the bank from the, from my condo sales. So I think I made my decision in about May, uh, mid, I'm going to say mid May. So that gave me six weeks of trying to pack and plan and do all these things. But then there was a lot of time for lying in bed in the middle of the night in the dark with my heart going a hundred miles an hour, <laughs> yep. just not knowing what was going on. And, and so the, the only, the only measure that I had was, do you want to go back to the life that you're leaving? And the answer was always no. And that was my gut telling me, listen, you, you have, you're, you're onto something because the thought, just the thought of going back to what I was leaving behind just made, I could feel my soul shrivel up just at the thought of it. And, and I, I, I couldn't make myself do it. And that had to be enough impetus for me to do something completely different. And that's, that's what ended up happening. Gotcha. So were there things that you, you, you were more worried about, um, leaving, um, than others? I mean, 
paycheck, um, you know, uh, uh, health insurance. Um, you talked about lifestyle. Were, I mean, were there things that you were just, well, what am I going to do about that? Um, oh, yeah. Um, the, the big one was paycheck. So I, because not only had I decided to quit this job, but in my mind, I was trying to come to terms with the, the, what, what in my mind was the, the distinct possibility that I would never work using my degree or my, my background again, that I might need to start completely over from scratch doing, I don't know what in, I don't know what kind of way. So I was, I was really expecting that I was turning my, my back on, on a big part of my identity. So that was terrifying as well to, to think, you know, I spent the first half of my life cultivating this person that I am. And now I don't know where that person fits in with what I'm going to be doing next. So that was a really frightening thing. Um, and add to that the fact that I had a limited amount or a, um, a finite amount of money. And I, yeah, I just, I, that, so those two things were very, very scary to me. I, I uh, always, I made a promise to my parents that I made a promise to them about certain things. And one of them was that I would always have health insurance. So that was always something that I, that I invested in. Um, unfortunately, so far, Knockwood haven't really needed it a lot, but you know, it's always been there if I did need it. So, but yeah, I would say the big things were, where's, where's my next influx of money going to come from? How am I going to support myself? I was 36 years old and, you know, ostensibly an adult living in a car, as you said, like having no, you know, no place to live. Um, and, and, uh, and basically throw in my mind, at least permanently throwing over those aspects of myself that had been, um, you know, able to, uh, make me a productive member of society. And I had no idea where, where that was headed. And you, it reminds me of, uh, something that you mentioned in the book, um, about, that that kind of trust factor that you're taking a step not knowing if I, I, I and I'm probably going to screw this up but not knowing if um, that next step if the ground's going to be there when you take that next step and it sort of reminded me of um, I, I know you were thinking it came from a movie and what it reminded me of and it was uh, uh, not Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where there's a, a test where he has to take a leap of faith and once he takes that first step, he realizes that there is a step actually there, but he had to kind of trust that there was going to be a step there. And it's at, and when you first start, you don't know when you take that first step that the ground's going to, going to be there or going to be strong enough to support you, you know? It's, it's absolutely true. And the, um, the saying that I've heard, and I, I don't know where this one comes from either is, um, jump and the net will appear. <laughs> And, and I think in, in my experience, that's been exactly what happens is the way, the way I describe it is if you do your part, then the universe will meet you halfway. And there've been different, different sort of hints that have gotten along the way that, yeah, this is the direction for you to go. Um, you know, sort of guideposts that, yeah, you're, you're going to be fine. This is okay. Whether it's a phone call from somebody or, you know, um, a check that I got after making a big decision, like, you know what, I'm not going to take this consulting gig because it doesn't feel right, even though I need the money. And then the next day I get a check that I forgot I was expecting, <laughs> you know, those kinds That's of things awesome. that, 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 and you could say it's coincidental and it's timing. 
And if you choose to believe that, that's great. And I choose to believe that that's sort of, you know, a, a tiny bit of validation for me um, to continue to, to live my life flying by the seat of my pants. So af, af, as you've made the change, have you struggled or how have you struggled um, uh, at, um, during, the, you know, during this process? Oh, many, many ways. Um, there's, there's always a struggle for me. There's always been a struggle to stay in touch with what I truly want. Um, and recognize that I'm the only person who knows that there, when I was at my job before I left, there were people telling me you can't quit because you have to do this and you have to value that. And that's true of any subculture it's true of any context where you know there would there would be people when i was when i was training there was a time when i was training too hard and i made myself physically ill and there were people who were saying you can't you know you got to come in and train you can't take a break you can't rest come on you know push yourself and all of it from everyone is very well meaning and all of it from everyone is only useful up to a point and that point is as long as it dovetails with what I really want for myself. So if I really want to push myself in jujitsu, then being surrounded by people who are there to push me is, is ideal. And if I really feel that, man, I just psychically, I need to take a break, then being around the people who are going to, who are going to try to push me and, and encourage me to, to stay and train harder, that's not so good for me. So it's, it, it's, Doing it the first time, so making the first break or making the first kind of bold decision is the hardest one, but it never, in my experience, it never gets easy. It's always something that I have to monitor and, and check against what, I, what I'm currently valuing gotcha. and, and, and what I'm currently prioritizing. So knowing all of what you've gone through, I mean, this is a, a weird qu uh, question because uh, as you said, hindsight's 2020. Would you train? Would you change how you approached the, the making the switch? Are there things that you would tweak about um, how you went into it? I think the biggest thing that I would do is worry less. Um, I always admire people who are able to just sort of, you know, stop and smell the flowers, and they may have sixty million things going on, and they, but they're able to be completely and and a hundred percent present and just enjoy. The moment, and um, as as uh, sort of trite or stereotype stereotypical as that sounds, it's it's something that I really that I strive for now to just be present wherever I am, um, and to really kind of give the best of myself to whatever moment I'm in. And I think that I took myself outside of a lot of the amazing adventures I had because I was worried about what was coming next. I love that. That's like one of my all-time favorite sayings: is it's that being being present and, um, and you know I remember I had a uh, I have a friend that uh, got married recently and the thing I said to her right before I said look just take a take a, a moment and just try and be present in the moment and don't worry about the things that because you know I remember when I when the same when we got married the things that you thought were going to be a, an issue you don't even remember now so mm -hmm. be in the moment and and worry less um, my final question um, is about recommendations that you would have for someone thinking about changing their career as drastically um, as you have. 
Sure. The very first thing that I would recommend is, is that everybody get to know themselves a little bit better. And what I mean by that is so often, as I mentioned, we are um, influenced by the people around us and we're influenced by the contexts we're in. And that doesn't make us bad or weak or ignorant. It makes us people. Um, and so getting perspective on um, the things that we do, paying attention to what really makes our hearts sing and what really makes us just want to crawl into bed, that's not, that's, those things are not good or bad. And if I don't like my job, it doesn't make me a bad person. It's useful data that I can then turn into um, some kind of information that can help me make decisions that will lead me towards something that will be more fulfilling. So I would I would just recommend, and it kind of goes hand in hand with this idea of being present, just pay attention. And if you don't if you don't want to pay attention because things are things are bad or you don't like them, well that's useful information in and of itself. That's awesome. Um, so I want to thank you for being my very first subject. Um, you are welcome. It I, was truly my pleasure. I, I, I wasn't, I, you know, the nervousness went away as soon as I started, so I feel good. Um, I know your book is available on Amazon. That's where I got it. Um, and I'll put yes. a link to it on, in the show notes. Where else can people look to find out more about you? I have a website and I am at ValerieWorthington.com. Excellent. And I'll put a link to that also in the show thank notes. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. So there we go. That was my first podcast. And I think it went pretty well. But yeah, I guess what's more important is what you guys think. So if you could send me a note with your feedback at nextexit at marketinghead.com. Again, that is nextexit at marketinghead.com. You know, that feedback for somebody like myself who's a beginner at doing this would be extremely important. Also, if you uh, you know somebody who you think would be a good subject for this uh, this podcast, by all means, send me a note to that same email address. And uh, finally, we will be on uh, back in your feed in about a week with another story of somebody who has made a career switch. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to follow me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at I am Spencer. I am Spencer uh, on Twitter. Talk to you soon.